Hey, Shannon here on a Saturday morning, checking in on the podcast that was recorded yesterday because I, I kind of knew this was going to happen. Things are moving rather quickly in baseball, so we actually have an update, something that we weren't able to cover yesterday because it hadn't happened as of yet. But I thought I would check in with uh, what is now, and it's still relatively early, the big news of the day in baseball, and that is a number of publications obtained copies of MLB's 2020 Operations Manual, which addresses the proposed health and safety protocols for baseball moving forward. This apparently was given to the Players Union late last night, it looks like. The document is 67 pages long, and that's just on the health and safety of the players. Uh, There are some things in there that I don't think that we've seen before, so I'm going to give you a really quick uh, first blush reaction to what I am seeing with this. But I also want to put out there that let's remember that this is the first time that the players are seeing it, too. This is basically a first draft. The players will have input But uh, there's a lot more that's covered in this than what we have been talking about. So I I think uh, some thoughts that perhaps they weren't being thorough enough in some areas. I think this is going to dispel some of that, although I'm sure there are other steps that they can take as well. And we will hear about that as the two sides negotiate. But I'm just going to run down the things that jumped out at me. The biggest and the most immediate was spring training. Now, we've been hearing for some time that it sounded like teams would play or hold a spring training in their home ballparks with the option of going down to Arizona or Florida if they couldn't play in their home cities. Uh, This says they are going to hold spring training in uh, Arizona and Florida, and it even sounds like there are going to be games, which will start very early in the morning because of the heat. This, of course, will all not be open to the public In fact, teams are going to be limited to just 50 players on their spring training rosters, which I guess that coincides with we're hearing a 30-person roster instead of a 25-man, a 30-man, plus a 20-person taxi squad so they can take from that as they need to during the season. Uh, It sounds like they're going to start out with workouts and that teams will be required to stagger those workouts so they don't have too many people at the facility at any one time. They're also going to be very limited in who they allow into the facility uh, that are non-players. So it will be very, very small groups in that building. I think much like what we saw at the end of spring training when things were shutting down right before they called it all off, there was a lot of limiting to who came in and out of the ballpark or into the building, and uh, this echoes that right there. Um, It looks like there will be games. There will be games with umpires, uh, of course, again, not open to the fans. Uh, I think that one of the reasons why we're seeing it down in Arizona and not in the home ballparks, and I had heard Concern expressed about this. The home ballparks just don't have the facilities for other players to get ready on that scale. That you don't have enough pitcher's mounds for guys to work off. You don't have enough uh, room in the batting cages. And that actually is another thing. They said it's not a good idea to have hitters in indoor batting cages, especially if there are outdoor alternatives. So that's covered there as well. It doesn't say how long it will be. It just gives the protocols. Uh, The clubhouse, they are going to need to stagger the lockers to six feet apart, and if they can't do it in one room, they're going to need to move into other rooms, which for the Mariners would be no problem. You can move a group over into the minor league side, which is a huge room. Um, There's plenty of space. That's not an issue. Players uh, are encouraged not to shower at the facility. There will be no buffet-style meals. It sounds like they're going to encourage teams just to give them a box-style lunch, just kind of one serving, one touch, and and, uh, get out of there. 
when they get into games, uh, social distancing in the dugout, that's something that we've heard about. Uh, they are uh, actually pictures and diagrams of how they would like this to be executed. And if need be, have players sitting up in the stands as well so that they can spread out. All non-playing personnel or non-uniform personnel, I think non-playing personnel, uh, will be wearing masks. And it even said that they will encourage batting practice pitchers to wear masks as well. Players, no, but uh, staff and everybody else, masks at all times. Um, and that will carry over into the regular season games. There was one little thing that looked a little eyewash-ish to me, uh, that when they do play games, the balls will be taken out of play if there's multiple touch. <laughs> you know, they're, they're going to be playing catch with each other all day long. I mean, this is not something that they are going to be able to, every time somebody touches a baseball, take it out. You can do it in a game, but uh, there are going to be baseballs that multiple people touch through the course of the day. Um, and if they take them out of the game, fine. But I, I thought that that was a little bit excessive there. But I guess in this day and age, why not be excessive? Testing, of course, a huge issue. Everything I read in this kind of jived with what we were hearing earlier. There's still not daily testing, which is something that a lot of players have expressed that they want. Um, there will be daily screening. Players will be screened, ask what their symptoms are upon arrival at the ballpark. Their temperatures will be taken. Anybody who goes anywhere near a facility all of that will go through all of that. The majority of the tests that they do use when they are tested will be saliva-based. Uh, if they have to use um, the nasal swabs, they will. I think they'd probably use those for the more rapid return if somebody does report symptoms. Blood tests, they uh, will not They'll try to avoid that as much as possible, but they won't be able to do that completely, of course. And when they arrive in spring training, every player will get a big workup and be uh, isolated and quarantined until the results come back from that. So uh, they want to start everybody and make sure right when they get them in one place, everybody is okay. Clubs are going to have to provide isolation rooms at their facilities. That um, certainly is doable. Uh, there will be no communal water coolers. Every player is going to have to have their own personal water bottle. No spitting, no chew, no sunflower seeds. We've all heard about that. Hand sanitizing after every half inning. That one, um, that's a lot, but again, why not? No mound visits. We've heard that. Social distancing in the dugout. Uh, we covered that a second ago. And then travel. And this is this is pretty extreme right here. And I think that this is in response to, you know, no bubbles. So the travel is they want to keep really close track of everyone. Charters, of course, will be used. They are going to encourage. They're working, I think, with an airline trying to get the same crew with every team the whole time. When players are at the team hotels, they will be encouraged to isolate Everybody else will be required to do so. So if you're a non-player and you are on the road with a team, you will not be allowed to leave the team hotel without permission. So, um, you know, they're trying to keep everybody in one place and in a controlled situation when they are on the road, except for the players. My guess is something that's something that the players wouldn't go for, but they will heavily discourage them from leaving the team hotels. So, um, a lot there, um, some more in the reports that we are seeing right now, but I just wanted to get all of this out and, um, you know, I travel with the team. Does all of this look feasible to me? Yes. Um, do I think that there are things in here that the players might balk at a little bit? Perhaps, but if safety is their number one issue, 
um, they shouldn't be. And I, I do think that testing is, is one that they are going to very much focus in on what exactly is being done, how often it is done, and uh, what's available to the families. They said that they'll make antibody tests and screening available to the families as well, and uh, that uh, will be a big one. I, I think you know the biggest thing is the players did not want to completely 100% isolate, but I do like that they're trying to isolate as much as a group where they are at. And uh, I, I do think that that is important. So uh, that's our first look. I will probably write something up on this uh, a little bit later, but I wanted to add this to the podcast because uh, a lot of new in this uh, from what we have heard before. And again, the biggest thing being, it looks like they are going for an actual spring training at the spring training facilities. So um, that's where we stand as of Saturday morning, 1045, when I'm recording this right now. Might have to record another one by the end of the day. You never know. Uh, coming up is the intro to the podcast. You'll hear about what is coming up and what we've covered over the last couple of days uh, and a really fun interview that I had as well. Hope this uh, little update here finds everybody healthy right now. Have a great weekend, and we will talk to you soon. Here is the rest of the podcast. Mariners Insider Podcast, coming to you on a Friday afternoon, and for the first time in a long time, I feel like the date stamp is actually kind of important, as there has been a considerable amount of news this week, and it would appear that uh, news can change and and move quickly, so everything right now relevant from about 2 o'clock on Pacific Northwest time on Friday. We're going to get into all the news of the week with James Osborne, you might know him as Boy Howdy. From the morning show, we've done a lot of off-season videos together. He's one of our baseball guys. We'll talk about the decision to shorten the draft to just five rounds. We'll also uh, hit the topic of a number of Mariners employees taking pay cuts. But, of course, the big news, the plan for the reopening, there is one, and it is on the table and being discussed right now. Lines appear to have been drawn. James and I will have plenty of insight both for the short and long term for the Mariners. As far as baseball talk goes, with a Mariner, it's on the coaching side. This is a conversation that I've wanted to have for some time. Somebody I actually wanted to talk to in spring training, but he was one of those guys who was really busy, one of the coaches in that regard. I'm talking about Tony Arnrich. You might know him as the Mariners' catching coordinator the last few years, but he also, or this year I guess you would say, has been promoted to the Mariners' minor league coordinator, and I feel that it's really a good time to talk to him because We just really haven't heard a lot about what's happening with the minor leaguers. The focus has been on the major leaguers. The focus has been on if they are going to play. I don't think things are looking very good on the minor league front, but these players, they're keeping track of them all. They are staying in touch, and plans are being made just like they are with the major leaguers and how they can keep them active and and how the shutdown is going to impact them. And, of course, this is huge to the Mariners when they've invested so much in their young players, and they are such an important part of their future. So we'll talk quite a bit about that with Tony, but we'll also talk quite a bit about the catching as well. That is a passion of mine. Clearly it's a passion of his. We will get into the RoboOMS conversation that we have had with a number of people, and I was really interested to hear uh, how he approaches that as a coach, as a catching coach. And uh, he is trying to explore every opportunity he can. If they do indeed go to the RoboOMS, something that he's not really a fan of, 
Uh, you know, how can they utilize that to their best ability? What is the position of catcher going to look like? What are they going to look for in their catchers? We'll get some answers uh, on that side of it coming up in just a bit. But as I said, we're going to tackle the news of the week first. Here's my conversation with Boy Howdy. All right, I figured it was time to bring in Howdy. I, I'm very disappointed. I, Santa Claus is gone. I know. Yeah, I felt like it was about time. I feel the joke was played out. So I just decided to move on to a little bit more uh, professional, blurred out version of my garage. <laughs> <laughs> Along those lines, I mean, let's let's get into we're going to get into baseball in just a second. But I think that one of the more interesting things throughout all of this, everybody is really kind of getting into what are the backgrounds? Where are people coming from? What are their houses look up? What are their setups? And as you see, I've added the Mariners jersey to my little bobblehead collection right here. And sadly, the bobblehead collection is lacking because I've given away so many of them. But jersey is up right now because I just had to. And you love this. I hosted the pregame for the Mariners showdown uh, of their their tournament. Their um, the MLB the show. Twenty. <laughs> we had players against fans and whatnot. So we just I'm like I better put up a little bit more for that. So now we have the jersey. <laughs> That's and, right up your alley, by the way. It, setting up a pregame show for video games is like everything you were made to do. Absolutely. Did you know, by the way, for my birthday every year, me and my best friend take a full day and night retreat to play MLB the show and just go into franchise mode for the Mariners. And we play out as many seasons as we can get in 24 hours. Usually it's like four or five seasons just playing the GM role. We sim all the games and we just build the team. It's like the highlight of my year in baseball. I love it. Hey, if you didn't think this already, you are certifiably insane. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so fun. Well, you know what? That might be a, that might be a show someday. We might yeah, just have to do that right there, and I'll do a pregame show for it. <laughs> yeah, each season takes about four hours, so buckle up. Oh man, what was your <laughs> best? What was your best outcome? Oh, so one year uh, we played MLB the Show fourteen, and we turned the Mariners into a World Series winner in year two, and we won four straight championships, World Championships. It was an incredible run. So you have a dynasty there, right? You know, was, just congratulations. And it was just further proof to me that I know exactly what I'm doing. Exactly. Okay. Not that we ever <laughs> doubted you. We doubted you. We definitely <laughs> doubted you here and there. All right. Yeah, so here we are. But what I was going to say is you're in your garage today. Where do you normally work? What is your setup? Where is your setup? Right here. I'm in my garage. There is one built-in heater in the wall in my garage, which is right behind me, blurred out. Um, I am next to the chair hammock that my wife got when she was in New Zealand like 12 years ago and hasn't used since. So <laughs> this is as good a place as any. Um, and the electrical panel is right behind me. So just in case uh, a fire breaks out, I can shut all the power off. It's really the perfect work situation. Um, and I have my uh, little desk. It's a $35 Amazon desk that is set up on top of a foam pad that I can slide uh, back and forth with my feet to get out of my actual uh, lazy chair. I should probably uh, I should unblur my background so you can see the chair that I'm in because that's really the thing. Um, I am in a really super comfortable chair. Um, I personally bought this for myself because I thought I would love it. It's got a nice little back pillow here. It's yeah. more of like a like a lazy boy type. It doesn't recline, but it's just super soft and plush. So uh, that's my work situation every day. I got you here on the one monitor. I've got my work monitor over here for my uh, audio editing. So that's my work setup every single day. And I, honestly, I love it. I really love it. What about you? Where are you normally working? 
I am, I have always, and this goes all the way back to school. I was the kid who did it. Well, okay. I'm not going to lie. I never did homework, but when I had to do, I, I, I really didn't. When I had to do something, it was always at the kitchen table. I had desks. I never used desks. I am 100% a kitchen table person. So I've got everything set up in the little breakfast nook right now. It's where I'm most comfortable, closest to the coffee. It's good, and, and, and I can spread out a little bit more, but that's how I've, I've always been. It's, it's always been, you know, so there's no exciting setup or, or, or anything, but it's where I'm most comfortable. And uh, it played around a little bit, you know, watched the YouTube videos, and I'm like, do I need a ring light? I'm going to get a ring light. So I got <laughs> myself a ring light because we're doing a lot of videos, upgraded the audio. Um, it, it's, it's been a little bit of an adventure learning some of this stuff, um, but useful, no doubt. Who has got the best setup at 710? Oof, I haven't seen too many, but Taylor's setup is almost exactly the same as mine. It's actually where I got my idea to be in here. Taylor Jacobs is set up in his garage. He has to wear like a winter clothing every day just to go to work. So um, <laughs> I feel that I've got a space heater right at my feet and one behind my head so I can look semi-normal. But um, I do like that. That's probably my favorite setup. All right. Well, it's been fun to see, and uh, this is where we're at, and hopefully we don't have to be here too long. We do miss seeing everybody and kind of that interaction just dropping by, and uh, you're usually in the control studio, and I'll come through, and those doors are so heavy, I basically have to throw all of my weight at the door, and sometimes you'll just hear a thump and nothing will happen. <laughs> I, like, totally miss like, having to deal with that. But I love uh. it. And, hey, howdy, what do you think about this or the newest, new, nearest, new, newest news? Or, you know, bringing in a treat. But, yeah, we need to get – that would be fantastic to get back to that and to get back to baseball. And it, it would appear there's been some movement on that front. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this. we got a few things on the schedule here. I'd love to start with some of the things the Mariners are doing um, just to keep things going. They've got a lot of people in their employ just outside their payroll. Um, and they had some news that came out the other day uh, in terms of how they're handling this from a financial standpoint. Yeah, they're doing what a lot of organizations and businesses are doing, and they've cut the salary um, for the short term of a number of employees. And uh, what they did is they took a group of about 60 of the uniform employee contract members. And what that is, is it just means they are under a uniform baseball contract and all across baseball, uh, they go October 31 to October 31. So that's this group. And um, it is uh, a lot of people that maybe you sometimes see and sometimes don't uh, that very much support what's on the field. So your coaches, your trainers, your minor league managers and coaches, your major league manager, um, and then some of your analysts and some of your baseball operations staff all fall, fall under that designation. And those that were earning $60,000 or more uh, were given a pay cut, and it started at 20%, and those who were earning more got bigger pay cuts. Jerry DePoto got a big pay cut, um, as did Scott Service. And uh, kind of the trade-off for this, and scouts were in, included in this group too, was since they're able to save that money, they're able to save some jobs. And so they were also told their employment would continue through October 31st. And you might say, well, they're under a contract through October 31st. Why wouldn't it? Uh, back at, I think it was the beginning of April, Rob Manfred suspended those contracts, and he could because there was a natural, we're under a national emergency right now. And while he suspended them, the hope was, was that teams would continue to employ people for as long as they can, and certainly through the end of May was something that they hoped 
they would see. And almost every team signed on and guaranteed, yes, we'll keep everybody through the end of May. But when he took, when he nullified the, the contracts there, it basically put everything in each individual team's hands so they could handle it as they saw fit or as they needed. And uh, the Mariners aren't the only team that are, are cutting salaries right now in an attempt to, to hold on to those jobs. A lot of teams have done that. Uh, there are some teams that have actually furloughed and laid off people under similar contracts and others. Uh, the Marlins have, the Rays have, predictably, those would probably be two of the teams that do that. Um, but for now, yeah, it's tough to take a pay cut, but I think there was a lot of relief when they said, yes, you will be employed through October 31st, because they knew they, they didn't have to be. Those contracts were you know, basically terminated by the commissioner. So in some, it sounds like this is generally positive news because it's avoiding a crisis, right? It's it's avoiding the worst case scenario. And it is pretty cool that, you know, we haven't heard general managers and some of these uniformed employees standing up and saying, speaking out against this whole thing. I think it's it's a cool it's a cool thing for the organization to have everyone sort of at least in some sense united to help and make sure everyone keeps their jobs. I, I think that's a positive thing. I think it is, too, and the Mariners did it fairly early. I've heard of a couple of teams doing it since. So, uh, you know, I just I think it's important just as peace of mind for those employees. And, you know, anytime you work for an organization, you want to feel like you're part of a family and you don't want that hanging over anybody's heads. So uh, it was good that they were able to do that. And uh, with everything that's going on right now, anything that you can take off of anybody's table, uh, Mariners were able to do that. So good for them. Let's scale out to sort of the next development that's been going on in baseball, and that's how these teams are going to address the draft. Uh, the MLB draft has typically been a very, very large-scale project, but as Major League Baseball has decided to start phasing out some of the minor league teams, which is a very controversial and large discussion in and of itself, the draft is one of the things that they were poised to make major decisions around, and it sounds like they have already sort of gotten down to the bottom line of what they're going to do for the 2020 draft that should be coming up here in June. Can you give us any more insight into some of the general discussions and the specific resolutions they've come at? Well, what we've heard, and I don't think this is official yet, but we have heard there have been numerous reports that it has indeed been cut to five rounds. And when Major League Baseball and the Players Association came up with their initial agreement uh, in this shutdown, remember at the end of March, they had to figure out, well, what are we going to do with player contracts right now? Um, a, a number of issues had to be sorted out. This was one of them, and they determined that this year they would have a five or a 10-round draft, and next year they would have, at minimum, I believe, a 20-round draft. So mm. it's on the table next year. Too. And there was a lot of hope that they would be able to have a 10-round draft. You, you think going from 40 rounds, and it, it used to be more than that, not too distant past, going down to five, um, that, that's a shock throughout the industry right there, I think. And, of course, with reverberations throughout baseball, college baseball, what's that going? How's that going to look next year? Where are all these players going to go? Um, that are not drafted. And organizationally, um, it's a tough thing, too. You know, the Mariners are an organization that have built through or are attempting to build through drafts right now as, as well as trades. But, um, you know, now you're going to be limited. The Mariners do have an extra compensation fix, so I guess that's good. But uh, it's uh, a move that really was not well received by anybody, it seems, and understandably so. 
And, you know, when you just kind of to go back to something else, when this agreement came up, anytime you hear about an agreement between baseball and the Players Association, that Players Association is only representing and standing up for 40-man roster big league players. So the minor leagues, not covered. Drafts, nope, they're on their own. So, you know, that's something to bear in mind right there, that there really isn't representation for this group at all. And one of the things that I found curious is that, you know, word came out that there were the, the majority of teams wanted 10 rounds and that there were some teams that just said financially this is going to hurt them too much. To which I say, I mean, that sounds good, but if the majority wanted 10, five, 10 rounds, we would have 10 rounds right now, but mm. they were really going to stand up for that. So uh, this has left a bad taste in the mouths of a lot of people, and they're, you know, the agents in particular oh. um, are the ones who have been really screaming about this and uh, what this means in the future. And as far as the minor league teams go, there's already almost an agreement. You know, they've kind of acknowledged that, yeah, we are going to contract. The minor league side has. So... Uh, this plays into it, too. But, um, you know, this is a tough one because these players, there are a lot of players that are drafted beyond the fifth round who have gone on to be something. And teams will still be able to get players. They can sign an unlimited number of undrafted players, but only for $20,000. And that I, I don't see a lot of players doing that. I think they're going to have to keep an eye on teams and make sure they don't do anything shady with that, with under-the-table deals. That's going to take a massive effort. I'm sure Houston is trying to think of a way to game this right now. <laughs> but, yeah, it, you know, it's uh, I obviously we are in extraordinary times right now, but this seemed pretty extreme. Yeah, you know, I don't love the idea of five. Five seems really, really small. What's the normal draft is, what, 40 rounds typically? Yeah. Yeah. 40 rounds to five is incredibly dramatic. And it's not like major, like minor league baseball or not minor league. I'm sorry. It's not like college baseball and high school baseball didn't play a season this year. Like those guys played. So right. it's not like next year where there's the potential where you may not have seasons that you could have watched these guys in their final year leading up to draft eligibility. That's a possibility. I don't think it's going to happen, but that's a possibility. You got your full set of information with these prospects to cut the draft down from 40 to five simply for team finance situations. I don't love that. That said, I think change is absolutely necessary. I am very strongly in favor of cutting minor league baseball down. I know that their plan is right now to tentatively basically cut minor league baseball in half. And I'm honestly for it. I think there's way too many guys who are toiling and spending their time trying to chase a dream. That's just not going to happen. There are too many 27 to 32 year olds in minor league baseball who are living below poverty levels, killing themselves, grinding their bodies just to get a shot at nothing. That's really going to happen. Like they're not going to make the league. The, the Major League Baseball and baseball itself needs to trim that down and get it to a place where it's more realistic, that if you're in the system, you've got a great shot to make it through. So I'm okay with that, and I'm also, in turn, okay with shortening the draft. But five is incredibly, incredibly short. I, I am not a fan of that. I don't like how this is shaping up at all. No, I, I don't either. But, again, it's a one-year thing with the adjustment for next year as well, and if the situation dictates, again. But I, I, I'm right with you with 10. 
you know, apparently this saves every club about a million dollars, 500,000 of which would have been deferred and paid out over four years. So what are we doing? Like, that's not a real number for major league baseball teams. I I think that one of the things was that even though they saw all of these players in their seasons, they haven't had eyes on them recently. So I think there might have been a risk thing is, you know, this guy could be hurt. This guy could have put on 40 pounds. You know, what is happening? There are a lot of questions right now. You know, we, we wonder about how the big leaguers are handling it. What is this going to do to player development, not just in the minors, but the young players and, and you know, the amateurs coming up, too. So I think that there was a little bit of that as well. Again, five to me is a ridiculous number. Absolutely. Well, we could talk about this forever. There'll be more times to talk about this. The draft is coming up on June 10th and 11th. I do, however, really like that the shortening of this is going to make it a lot easier moving forward for us to get to know some of these draft eligible prospects. I mean, the idea that there were 40 rounds and 30 people per round. So I don't even know what the math is. 1200 players that are drafted in the draft. Like that's too big of a number for anyone to really say that they could be a draft expert. Just, just an average person like me. But when we get down to 10, maybe 20, but if we're down in the 10 to 15 rounds range, there's no reason why we can't start getting a little bit more invested. Like we are with the NFL draft and the NBA draft. There are average people out there who can really understand what those prospects generally look like. And I think if the draft was a bigger deal, I think it would help prospects to rise faster. It would help guys to um, develop a little bit more in the high school levels and the college levels. I think it'd be a good thing if the draft was more popular and more well-known. So in that sense, shortening the draft is going to have some positive impacts. Um, Would love to move now to the big topic, the one that everyone's been discussing for weeks and months, but we're starting to see some information come out. The course to return to play. What are you hearing? Well, I think I'm hearing what everybody else is hearing right now. There's There's been a lot that has come out in the last, I want to say, four or five, since last Friday, I guess. Wow, is that a week already? How about that? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to quarantine calendar. Okay. <laughs> it just hit me. This is terrible. Um, I think uh, last week we heard that the the uh, owners finally had a concrete plan that they were going to give to the union to uh, take a look at. And I think there was some surprise, and I think it sounded like on the union's part, too, that there really weren't any discussions leading up to it. And every time that I talked to a player, the answer was, I'm hearing what you're hearing, which in something so big like that is a little bit surprising. Um, if this had been like a normal season, and I guess you can still do it, you know, over the phone, over, you know, conference calls and whatnot, uh, you would see the MLB reps quite a bit. I'm not talking about the player reps, but so the union has ex-players who are reps as well that are constantly going through all the teams. And the closer you get to an agreement, the more you see of them. And they're presenting things in person to uh, the players. So I think they're a little more accustomed to having a better picture of what is actually going on. And this, it was like, yep, uh, they're going to vote on Monday and have something to you on Tuesday. So you're kind of starting at a different spot than you would with any other negotiation, usually between these two sides. So I think there's a level of uncomfortability with it. I'm going to make that up. I can do that in quarantine teams. Quarantine. Quarantine times. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... Uh, along those lines, uh, I, I think that's different. I think that we are wanting baseball to come back kind of riding a roller coaster of this sounds good on this day. And, oh, that didn't sound good. It's not going to happen. And the truth of the matter is, is this is going to take a couple weeks to work through. And, you know, what we're hearing right now is baseball has a plan. 
uh, you know, play half a season in the home ballparks wherever possible, possibly spring training in the home ballparks. There will be travel. Uh, divisions will play their nat national or their opposite league um, geographical teams, the uh, counterparts as well. DH on both sides. And, and so there's this whole plan. And what really, really kind of drew my interest was the immediate player reaction. Because I've said this quite a bit, I've written this a little bit. Um, over the last couple of weeks, when you talk to players, it's we want to play. You know, at the beginning of this whole thing, it was like when the bubble plan came out, was, I don't know, that sounds, oh, that's a lot. I don't know if I can separate from my family. I need to hear more. Over the last two weeks, it's been, no, we're baseball players. We want to play. And when I would get that question, I would follow that up with, is that what you're hearing from others? And the answer would be yes. Now we're hearing that there, you know, there are some players that are nervous about this, and that is understandable. I'm nervous to go to a grocery store for them to expose themselves to everything that is out there in baseball. That you have to sit up, you have to take notice, and you have to address. Um, what I didn't like was the first thing that we heard from the players' union came from union chief Tony Clark himself, and he was saying revenue sharing, which is what the owners are presenting, is a non-starter. So the first thing we heard was money. And then after that, we start hearing health issues, health issues, health concerns. So uh, for me, I don't want to hear money. Mm. You know, obviously, it's going to be a factor. Work it out quietly. Uh, mm. I don't want it on every other player's Twitch page or social media. This is something we don't need to hear right now. It's not good for the game. You have to, you know, you have to know your room. You have to know your audience. You have to know your surroundings and what's going on right now. Nobody wants to hear that, and mm. it's valid, I think. But let's not mouth out off about that. Ooh, that's interesting. So the Blake Snell situation and what he said in his Twitch stream is a whole other conversation, and it's too big and too low. And I don't want to go down that road. But what you mentioned there with the Tony Clark comments about not wanting to go to a revenue split, I think that he's being a realist. And Shannon, you know me, I'm, a, I'm definitely a realist, absolutely a realist. And the reality is that all the rest of this stuff is going to get figured out because there are compromises everywhere. There is not going to be a compromise situation on the finance side. It truly will be decided whenever those two sides determine what the finances is, are, that's when it finishes. So him saying that, I had no problem with it because that's the truth. Like That is the only thing that is going to decide when and if this thing comes back in terms of a controversy. Now, there's other information and timelines and stuff from the CDC and all these other players that are involved, but that has nothing to do with the relationship and the agreement they make. The only thing that's going to take time and have to be figured out is this financial stuff. And I... I typically don't really care about all the finances between these two sides, players and owners, but the fact that these two already came together as this COVID-19 stuff was getting started and made a joint plan, a joint financial plan that was different from their normal plan. So they set out a specific COVID-19 financial plan right. and said, we're going to pay you at the salary rates you have prorated to however many games you play. That's going to be the plan. Both sides said, okay, we're good with that. Now for the owners to come back and change that because this went longer than they anticipated. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> that's just not going to fly with me. Now, Blake Snell's arguments about I deserve this money and I shouldn't have to give it back. That stuff I'm out on. But this idea that we need to make a, a version 2.0 agreement based on something that you already like you knew the parameters of what COVID-19 was going to be. It was going to shorten your season. It was going to cut things back. That's what you knew. Like, and you made a financial agreement. 
that's got to stand. And I, I don't think that they're ever going to come to the position where it's going to end up being some sort of a revenue share for this season. I don't think it's going to happen. And I think that the owners are just going to have to swallow that pill because they acted prematurely in trying to create this financial plan in the first place to prorate salaries. Well, there are two sides to that, and I agree with you, I think, mostly on this. Um, what gets lost in this is the players have already taken a huge pay cut. I mean, their contracts were guaranteed anyway. They have not gotten paid for the games that they have missed, other than a portion of that $170 million that was set aside. And I think the average player got $140,000 out of that. So, and you know, it's hard to feel bad for anybody with those numbers and whatnot, but uh, they had the contracts. Now, they could have been voided because of the national uh, emergency, but I think everybody agreed that would be a horrible look for baseball, and baseball would not do that. So, And then the other thing that went along with that is, to my understanding, is, is the players agreed to that because they wanted to keep their service time. Hmm. And I, at the time, thought that was a terrible idea because if you're looking ahead, I can't imagine that it's going to be a good season to be a free agent this winter oh. or probably next oh. winter either. So along those lines, you know, I don't think teams are going to be play paying the dollars they normally would be paying going forward. So I, I think that maybe that needs to be taken into account as well. And that's kind of, uh, you know, I don't know if there was an alternative for the players, you know, if they could have, Hey, we're going to redo and get our pay a year from now at that mark. I don't know, but I don't think the service time, should have been as big a, a focus um, with what we're dealing with here right now. So I do agree with you. I mean, it's going to come down to the dollars. Uh, it, it's so important to both sides. It's so important for the sport. They got to get this right. Um, at, at, you're in the earliest stages of a negotiation right now, and maybe this is just so they can get something somewhere else on the owner side. Or I think maybe they did think, yeah, we got a really good idea. They might go for this, uh, but it's apparent that they will not. And the other side, I do think that the health and safety is very important. Uh, the players wanted to know how they were going to handle it. We're hearing that they're not happy with not having everyday testing, which is what it sounds like the plan is right now. Again, early, so we'll see how that is worked out. But, you know, if, if they want to play, everything's not going to be perfect. And they didn't want to, you know, if you wanted absolute safety, then the Biodome plan was probably the yeah. best way to go. And There's they not going to wait a there's no way to start this thing with absolute safety. And there's no way to start this thing to ensure that these players don't get COVID-19. That's just not going to happen. And that's basically for all of our society until right. we have an immunity shot that we can all take. That's There's no perfect solution. There are only compromises. So if you're willing to live in a world where there's compromises and good effort to try and keep you safe, then yeah, this thing can start pretty soon. I mean, there are a lot of ways. If you spend enough money and get enough resources with testing, I think everybody in the league should have an antibody test before they even show up at a place to see if they've had it before, to see how much risk there is. Um, and then once they get in the building to have frequent testing, it's going to help. It's still not going to catch everybody, and it's still not going to ensure that this virus doesn't spread everywhere. But if you're talking about making compromises, then there are ways to make this thing happen if they're willing to spend enough money. So I... I have a lot of hope that baseball is going to get started on the timeline that it wants and it's going to be allowed to because they're going to have the money to be able to make this thing work. They're going to be able to get the tests that they need to get because they quite frankly have the benefit of having the resources. Well, and when they do, it's just going to be, they're going to be, it's a big experiment on itself. It's, they're all going to be 
guinea pigs, because as you said, we're all going to have to go through this. Whatever gets re- I mean, any business that starts in any effort, how you know, offices, anything that needs to work and cannot work from remote, everybody getting back out there. Eventually, everybody's going to be close. How do you monitor that? How do you manage that? And there's no example right now. I mean, you can look at Korea as much as you want to right now, but there are, what, I think 236 deaths total over there. It's not the same. You know, they have managed the situation outside of baseball. And what they're doing is they're doing temperature checks twice a day as they come into the, in the building, when they come into the building. And then again, um, they haven't had to do a lot of testing because they'll test if there are symptoms, but they're not, they haven't come up with a positive yet. And they've been running for what, two weeks now? But totally different right there. Taiwan, they're ready to bring in fans right now. They're going to start allowing 2,000 fans per game real soon, socially distanced, of course. We're not in the same situation. But, you know, eventually somebody is going to have to do something. Baseball, I think, would like to be first up, but they got to come to agreement with the players. Let's take the step forward and talk about what this is all going to mean moving forward this year, next year, and in the near future. How is this going to impact the Seattle Mariners? Where are they going to fit into this picture? Uh, you and I talked in the past, and I put out there that I think that this is the perfect time. If there was going to be picked a time in the franchise's history moving forward for this to happen in terms of when they want to be competitive, now's a great time because they're not trying to compete this year. They're trying to get in a position where they have financial flexibility and player development flexibility to be able to have a young core that's cheap that they can supplement. And so getting through this year when they would have been losing a lot of games, uh, they'll be able to lose less games because they'll play less games uh, to get further down that line, I think is a positive thing. But due to the financial element and the risk associated with missing so much time and these teams trying to cut their rosters, cut their finances, their spends and expenditures in all sorts of places. How do you think this impacts the Mariners' rebuild efforts? Well, what's funny is the irony here is this would be their best shot to get to the postseason. They're expanding (laughs) the postseason, and anything can happen in an 82-game season. You get off to a hot start, they get off to the start that they got off to last year, all of a sudden that means a lot more in half of a season. So, you know, not that without even trying, I think they're already ahead of the game in that one, in that they would have a bigger chance to get to the postseason. So why the heck not, as long as you're playing out there? I think the interesting challenges for them this year will be, what do you do with your young stars? And this is what we don't know and what nobody knows. We focus so much on how do you keep the big leaguers ready? And it's across the board. There are a lot of different things going on with that. Um, There are organizations right now that have players, not all at once, but small groups working out at their off-season facilities. That's not happening. The Mariners are not opening up their off-season Peoria until they get the all-clear on that. But there are are some teams that have done a little bit more on that. I know the Braves have had some hitters, uh, some pitchers throwing to hitters um, unofficially and I think on their own uh, somewhere else. I know the Rangers have been working out in their new ballpark. Not all together, but they've had small groups of players come in. They've been able to hit on the field there. Now, some of the Mariners, I know a young group of Mariners, um, was talking with uh, Justin Dunn last week. He's living with Jake Fraley right now. Evan White is just down the street. They were able to get into a facility down there on their own, so they've been able to do things. But there are other guys that haven't been able to do so much. So you've got some organizations where they've had, you know, been able to face live pitching and others where they haven't. So that's going to be a little different. But the minor leaguers, how this is going to impact them. Development, mm. of that, what happens if you lose a year of games as a minor league? 
bleaker. And this is important because the Mariners are, are developing right now. What impact is that going to have on all of those players? We heard from Tony, or we will hear from Tony Arnerich, who is the minor league field coordinator, a little bit later in this uh, podcast, a little bit more about that. But that's a huge challenge, and that is so important to the Mariners. You take a look at the rosters that could be allowed in a restart. You're looking at a 30-man roster with a 20-man taxi squad. I think we're fairly certain there's not going to be a minor league season. Will they be able to run some sort of camp down in Arizona or keep mm. guys active? We don't know. But do you put a Jared Kelnick or a Julio Rodriguez on that taxi squad so you're close to them and they're working out? Do you do it if that eats up a year of um, a year of service time? Probably not. You know, so those are things that are going to be questions that will be really really tough to come up with answers with those. So I think they'll be looking long-term with those players. So The positive element of that is that there's 20 teams in baseball who are in the same sort of capacity of trying to rebuild through their farm system and get their young stars ready. Like, there are so many teams that went through this rebuilding thing. The Mariners are not one of the five teams that are like, oh, we're the only ones taking a step back, and now we're going to have to change this. There's a lot of teams in their, their camp. But to your point, this is the time when you're going to – the decision you make, how you handle this, may end up being the differentiator between you and the other 19 teams that are rebuilding. Absolutely. And, you know, everybody's looking to get the edge uh, in, in that regard. And you got the questions so often so early. Does this set the Mariners plan back a year? You know, they wanted to contend in 2021. Well, of course it does. If they don't get experience out on the field, they're not going to magically all of a sudden be there. So yeah. I think that's less of a concern as we go on. Obviously, you know, we, we see what the big picture is right now. But the other thing is the financial side. And the Mariners should be in much better shape than most. Because after this year, they have all but cleared out almost all of their payroll. Can you imagine being the New York Yankees right now and paying, oh. you know, Garrett Cole, what, $35 million, and you might not throw a pitch for you this year? And that's just one. I mean, yeah. the Mariners have next to nothing on the books after this year. Uh, Kikuchi, I think, is like the biggest salary that they've got for some time. Uh, Seeger is still there as well. But um, you know, fortunately for them, it, it was already built in, and I think that will benefit them greatly. The part that I am, the uncomfortable question that I have to ask out of all of this, and I'm not expecting you to give an answer, but it's one that I'm going to be watching over the next three years, is because the Mariners have positioned themselves financially to take advantage of these next few seasons where they don't have guys currently under salary and wait for the opportunity to, once their young prospects hit, to hit the go button and then start acquiring major league talent at some higher rates and spending the money they've been saving. Do they get in a position where they say, you know, we didn't expect all the expenses of these lost seasons, this last lost season, potentially maybe some uh, harder times coming forward and sort of use some of that cushion that they may have been building by saving some money to cover the cost to get to a more neutral position for 2020 financially and not maybe spend the amount that they were anticipating to spend when they were ready to go hard. That's a question we won't know the answer to until the time comes around, but that's one major concern I have. They're not a major market team in the sense that they can just go out and spend $220 million at the drop of a hat and not worry about the financial implications because they're the Cubs or the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox, and they've got revenue streams no matter what happens that can come in and cover them. They're in a position where they have to choose the right times and spend the right money the right way. Yeah, but I mean, my question is, is what is going to be the state of free agency? Are we still going to see $30 million 
contracts. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine that you just pick up and, oh, it's back to usual as far as those contracts and those salaries go, because all teams are going to take hits. Some teams will probably even declare bankruptcy. MLB is going to have to bail out a yeah. lot of clubs. They won't do a salary, and this is where it's going to get so interesting, because you know, they can't put in a salary cap, cap, but, you know, can you scream collusion on a bankrupt when you've gotten three, four, five bankrupt teams? Uh, it, it's, you know, it, we don't know what the price tags are going to be down the line. And is, you know, your first duty to keep your franchise solvent or is it to pay bigger salaries? I, we're going to have to pay and yeah. compete. I think that you and I have talked about this a lot, and I have held firm to the position that the best players in baseball will continue to see, receive the rate of incredible contracts that they always have. When there are cuts that are made and trimming that happens in spend, it happens in the middle and lower class of free agency. And to me, it means I don't think that we're going to see less guys making 30 plus million dollars. I think we're going to see less guys making 10 million dollars. That number is going to go down. So whatever that $10 million free agent was going to be, that guy's a $4 million free agent moving forward. And it could be two or three years. And the climb back up is not going to be instantaneous. It's going to take a while for that number in the middle class to rise back up. So to your point, are the Mariners well positioned in free agency? If they still spend the way that they were anticipating to spend, theoretically, they should be able to get a much higher quality of average player by spending the same amount of money because they could outbid people or they could just bring in more talent because those guys could theoretically be worth less on the open market. So that does, I think, bode really well for them. I don't think they're going to be in the position to go try and get two $30 million players to make this thing work. I think they're in a position to try and trade for their future star and try and extend him and then supplement the rest with B-plus level free agent talent in that 10 to $20 million range. So I think that this could work out well if they're willing to spend the way that they were planning to spend before this all happened. Uh, I think it's unreasonable to believe that. I don't think anybody in any business or any walk of life is going to spend like they did before. But again, I don't think the market will be what it was before, too. So we just have to wait and see. Yeah. Well, lots going on. There's going to be a lot more coming out. I think it's interesting that every time we hear these plans, like normally in the normal sports cycle, we'll get like a snippet of a plan set out like every couple of days, right? We'll never get like a full proposal plan. But the baseball, we've had like basically two full proposal plans released with really no small changes in between the two. Like we had the Biodome one that came out in full from Jeff Passan. And then that was it. And then we just kind of worked off of that. And then it was like another month. And then all of a sudden we had like the home ballpark plan. It was fully presented. So I'm curious to see where we go. If we start hearing small change rumors with this, I think we're getting closer to having a firm plan for a return to play. If there's just small little tweaks that come out as leaked rumors, I think we're on the right path. So I'll be curious to watch that too. Well, there's a lot to get through. The document is 80 pages long. So, and you've got you know, a, definitely a, a player side, I think in particular, that wants to negotiate, that wants to get something out of this. So I think what we're looking at right now is, you know, realistically, I think you need to have something done in that first week of June. And if we are two weeks from now and we're not hearing things or we're hearing bad things, that's not going to be a good signal. We've got to hear that things are moving forward and they're getting closer. We better yet have something within two weeks, but it, it's not going to happen, I think, in a couple of days. I think there are going to be some pretty intense negotiations, not just for what's going on right now, but for what could come up in the future as well. So, um, yeah, we will be following and, uh, you know, crossing our fingers. I think that this leads to baseball. 
Totally agree. With that, I think we are probably good for the rest of the day here. And uh, we tried to do this a little bit later on a Friday because things could happen up until who knows when. But uh, if we get some major developments, you are welcome back, Howdy. Hey, thank you. Oh, I'm glad I acquitted myself in this time. It was a pleasure talking with you, Shannon. I miss having you drop in. I love talking baseball with you. So excited to do more of that in the future. Well, hopefully with a little luck, we'll be talking again to Howdy next week with uh, some news on this all moving forward. Up next, I catch up with Mariners minor league coordinator Tony Arnrich from his home in California. Uh, I'm in Santa Rosa, California, so about uh, an hour north of San Francisco over the Golden Gate Bridge in the wine country. This is where I grew up, and um, we moved back here about six years ago, so we've been here for six years now. Uh, with my wife and I got a seven-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl. So we're playing a school teacher as well as everything else right now. So it, it's been it's been fun, but uh, some interesting times as well. How has the uh, homeschooling with the kids gone? What have been the adventures with that? <laughs> I think it, it's interesting because some days they're very motivated and, and those days are easy. And then there's other days where it's like pulling teeth, like, you know, and they, they, they know the right things to say, like, oh, I don't understand. And uh, you know very well that they probably do understand, but they're just probably fried. And so finding ways to maybe take their mind off it, uh, give them a break, you know, go out and shoot some hoops or, um, you know, getting creative where it's not just uh, something that they dread, but actually something that they can put some energy into. And um, I think in order for them to put the time and effort, you got to put the time and effort yourself helping them. And which uh, has been a challenge at times, but but also it's funny. There's a, a lot of similarities to coaching when you're talking about parenting. So um, I told my wife, I said, uh, one of the things that we talk about in coaching is we're, we're um, we have to be really good at reminding people of things. And I feel like we're constantly reminding our kids and, but that's just like coaching. So it's kind of cool. And so one of the videos, and um, boy, they both can, you you channeled your inner Perry Hill and helping them with some infield drills, and uh, you got two little stars there, it looks like. <laughs> yeah, they, they run around, they, they, they try hard. One of the things that we try to do is just encourage them to do a bunch of different things, whether it's basketball, um, you know, bubbles, blowing bubbles, making water balloons. Uh, we want them to be kids, and uh, especially, you know, AJ's seven now, so he's getting close to where he's going to get into more competitive sports. But um, we just encourage him to have as much fun and try as many different things. And um, because I think you see a lot of people specialize early, and obviously seven years old is way too early. But we, we just want to keep them busy and, and make sure that they're having fun, whatever they're doing. So we just encourage them to continue to try everything, uh, which has been fun to watch for sure. You seem like, and I mean, it's so hard to imagine this because we're at home, but we do find ways to become very busy. And between juggling two kids and keeping in contact with all of your minor leaguers, uh, what is a day like for you right now? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I was telling somebody the other day that the 10 a.m. Pacific phone call is like like prime time. Like that's the time that everybody wants, right, with the uh, video calls and everything else. And so most mornings it's, a, you know, you wake up and get the kids kind of rolling and get them breakfast and get them rolling with their, their schooling and um, try to put some time into that, drink some coffee for sure. And then uh, we usually have on a, on a daily basis anywhere from one to four calls with uh, staff, whether it's, you know, minor league pitching coaches, uh, uh, a player plan um call that we're going to talk about our player plans or um, just 
all our coaches in general discussing ways we can improve and help our players improve during this time. And then also trying to continue to learn ourselves, whether it's, uh, you know, Carson Vitale put together a cool book club that a lot of major leaguer leaguers and minor leaguers and minor league coaches and major league coaches are on, which has really been um, uh, really fulfilling and fun to be a part of. I think, you know, there's certain players that maybe, I didn't know as well that I feel like if we get back to this thing, when I see them, it's going to be hard not to give them a hug or a high five and be like, you know, I feel like I know them better. So um, we're on a lot of calls every every day. And then, um, you know, just trying to balance that with the family is is really the kind of how the day goes. And all of a sudden it's five o'clock and it's time to cook dinner. So they, they seem to go pretty fast and hopefully you can work uh, get a workout in there somewhere as well. <laughs> with two kids in tow, I'm sure. Yeah. We've heard so much about what the major leaguers are doing and what the plans for them in this shutdown was. How do you go about, I mean, obviously the minor league system is so different, so much bigger and uh, so much more diverse. What are your aims and goals in handling this situation with them right now? Well, I think, you know, initially we kind of wanted to take it slow and, and make sure that everybody was safe. I mean, obviously that's the most important thing. Are they are they in a place where they are safe or their family safe um, first and foremost? And then from there it becomes, okay, what, what do they, what can they do? Cause different States have different rules. Some States you can still go to a gym or, or use a park and other States it's complete lockdown. So what do they have access to whether, even if it's just, do they have baseballs? Do they have mm-hmm. their pitcher? Do they have some weighted balls? Um, so we, we try to take some inventory. We, uh, what players have access to, um, even if it's just a PS3 where they can play video games against each other, like any anything that we can find uh, that they have access to, how can we then utilize that to help them um, maintain during this time? I think one of the hardest things for whether it's a minor leaguer or a major leaguer is we usually have a date that we're pushing towards, whether it's uh, your report date to spring training. And then when you get to spring training, you have opening day and then from opening day you have the all-star break like you always have these dates that you're um constantly uh can foresee uh, uh coming and and work towards so when we don't have a date it's really hard to uh have a progression so it's more about maintaining um number one and then you know from there just keeping in touch and making sure that that they're okay mentally as well i think one of the greatest things that, that we've done uh, for our players during this time is our mental skills coaches have had a um, optional uh, daily meditation where guys can just call in and which is really important during this time. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things that we talked about with our players uh, through whether it's text or the, the players that we've been able to talk to on the phone is, is how are you going to um, attack this time? Can you be the best at handling the situation and can we as an org be the best at handling this situation so that when we do hit the uh, get back to baseball, we can hit the ground running um, and feel like we maybe have an edge on others because we handled it um, properly. We didn't complain. We found ways that we can improve. So um, obviously this is a challenging time, but there's no playbook. So you can really write your own script. And um, how do you want to look back and and uh remember how you handled it and what are things that you can do and um another thing i think it really challenges our mental skills department it can really take advantage of this and and we can challenge our players to uh think deeper and and get to know themselves more so that they can uh, have more self-awareness throughout the season um 
so all those things combined, I mean, it's it's just a it's a big challenge. Um, but one thing I think a lot of our players, just in talking to them, that they're all gaining, and I think we all probably are, um, whether we're a baseball player or not, is we're gaining some perspective on things that we really appreciate. Um, and one of the things that they really appreciate is playing the game now more than ever. Um, <laughs> and you hear guys that got injured before they they come back with a renewed. Um, mindset and they they end up being better because of injury you've heard of that before and so I think uh, this could be very similar where guys don't take it for granted that they get to play baseball for a living and and they can come back with a vengeance and and their mind can be in a good place to allow themselves to perform for me when you look at it when it restarts I mean we really don't have a template for it but it would almost appear I mean you don't just stop playing baseball unless you're hurt it's like everybody's coming off the DL or the IL at the same time. Um, physically, I think that's probably how it is with a more veteran player. Developmentally, what are the concerns there in missing time? Well, I mean, obviously, the, the experiences of, you know, whether it's uh, a second-year player who's going through the biggest slump of his career and is able to get himself back on track and come out of that slump and see that there's light at the end of that tunnel um, and gaining that experience, um, you know, the, the, the in-game experiences that you gain that are really hard to simulate um, without it. I think, you know, it's a it's a great point in that some guys, uh, it may it may not be very helpful for them, but other guys, it may give them time to rest, you know, physically. Maybe they were, were nursing a, a, a sore arm or, or their body was taking a toll and maybe it gives them a, a chance to renew their commitment to, um, you know, their physicality and their explosiveness and they can come back better. And so, um, you know, it, you can't replace the game, but you just want to find ways that you can improve yourself, whether it's your engine, your body, your mind, so that when you do get back to the game, you can at least uh, have a leg up on other people that didn't prepare as well. Are you optimistic they're going to find a way for the minor leaguers to do something? Um, I, you know, it's tough. It, it's I am and then I'm not. It's it's really all speculation, though, but for, for this much um, time and effort that's being put in the major league season and to think that there would have be that many other leagues that would have to start up afterwards. There's ways of seeing that maybe it won't happen. And, you know, it's one of those things that's, it's hard in our position, like my position where we're supposed to be the ones that have answers for our players. And we don't, we really don't. It's out of our control. And, and it's really something that we talk to our players about is control what you can control. And so, as a uh, in my position and people that are um, you know at the same level as me, we really don't know. So it's uh, it's not really worth us worrying about as much as it is just about like hey, let's prepare that we're gonna play until they tell us we're not. Um, and I think you put yourself in a position to be prepared when it, if it, if and when it does happen. How much will it help over the last couple of years? We've seen the off-season programs so beefed up with the Mariners. Those have got to be helping right now, I would imagine. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting. We're, we're trying to find ways that, um, you know, we have had great off-season um, strength and conditioning programs and, and our pitching department has done well with our, our camps and, and our swing camp and the GCU calls. Um, I think the GCU calls have, have, are hopefully leading us into more things like that with, you know, whether it's infield calls and outfield calls and, you know, you get Perry Hill to do a video on wall ball that we can show our low A hitters. Um, and so we're brainstorming a lot of ideas that 
can help us get through this time, but also that might stick as some, somewhat of our off-season programming, if you will, um, in the future and uh, help us to, to continue to develop new programs that can help our players and give them as much info as we can and educate them as much as we can on what we do, what we stand for, and what even if it's just a book club or a cooking club, like can we create some things that that help our players connect more um, in the off season and which in turn, um, I think naturally you're, you're improving your culture as well. The more that you can get your players to uh, have programs that they, they go in together and do. I mean, I know just in witnessing our GCU program with our catchers, there's a camaraderie that when we come into spring training, I mean, they, they've been talking to each other all off season and uh, there's a culture within the catching core that we have and that some leadership I mean, with Nola and, and Murphy leading the way, um, they've really taken off. And it's fun to watch in my position because you just kind of sit back and say, man, these guys, I don't even need to be here. And they coach each other up, you know, as good as anybody. So um, it's fun to watch. But I think it's just an inkling of what we can do moving forward, uh, you know, during this time. But but even so in the offseason, uh, it, it, it's showing that there is probably some more opportunities for us to help our players Um and not just baseball-wise, but just socially and, and everything else. So it's um, been eye-opening for sure. Now, isn't that the job of any good catcher to coach up everyone else and take care of all of that? <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it's you know you know how you can see um, where where players you know don't they I wouldn't say they root against each other, but they're like, gosh, man, that guy. I hope he doesn't get three more hits tonight. I mean, the, you can genuinely see that our catchers root for each other, understanding that. If, if we're all improving and pushing each other, everyone gets better. And so um, it's fun to watch. What was it like, speaking of fun to watch, last year to come in and really you had kind of a fluid catching situation at the big league level. Uh, they get Tom Murphy at the end of spring training. Austin Nola's picked up late, too, and plays everywhere. And at the end of the season, you've got two good major league catchers. What was it like to see that develop in front of you it, you know it was really uh fun obviously you know you see guys um especially with tom's case you know he, he got uh dfa'd by the rockies and then the giants pick him up and they dfa him and he comes to us and and you know i give tom so much credit on being open-minded to some of the stuff that we've talked about because you know a lot of times in the past people tell you things and and they don't follow through and it was like tom i you know here are some things that we see i think that that you can develop and get better at and he dove right in and made adjustments at the major league level which is really really hard to do um but just his commitment and his growth like he just always wanted to find better ways to do things and um and then austin i mean talk about a guy that's persevered from being a middle infielder to a position change to catcher and then makes his major league debut at first base, right? I mean, it's just, it's crazy to see, but both those guys, they just have this, um, this confidence, but also this, this unending uh, strive to, to find better ways and, and continue to add to their tool belt, so to speak, which is why they, they've succeeded. They don't, they're never satisfied with where they're at. And I think, you know, Tom probably saw a great opportunity too, where it's like, ah, this is my chance. And, to his credit, he did everything possible to take advantage of that that uh, chance that he got from his nutrition to his body. I mean, he was just fully committed to this is my opportunity. I'm going to, to win this job. And 
you know, it, when you get people that do that, that have talent like he does and are athletic like he is, uh, you, you usually see some good things happen, which we did. And it's really refreshing because they're both top-notch humans and uh, they care so much about their teammates and, and, and the Mariners. And um, to have them as our, you know, quote-unquote leaders behind the plate um, is really refreshing. And, and I think that the one word that comes to mind with both of them when I think of them is trust. Like you trust those guys. And if you think of guys like Dan Wilson, you know, people trust those guys. And when you can have a uh, two catchers that your pitching staff and your coaching staff trust, um, I think it puts our pitchers and the rest of our team in, in positions to really be the best version of themselves as well. It's been so enjoyable watching um, the passion for catching in this organization to hear about game calling you and to hear that you and Dan Wilson were involved in that and that they were all talking to each other. Um, what got you into catching? <laughs> Uh, my dad threw me behind the plate in peanuts um, in Rankin Valley Little League. And, and normally in peanuts, the catcher is like seven feet behind the hitter. But I had older brothers, so I knew where the catcher was supposed to be. And so I'm like, you know, right behind the hitter. And they're like, man, we've never seen – normally catchers don't do that. And I just – I fell in love with the position instantly. Um, I was always kind of dirty growing up. I was always playing in the dirt. And my brothers – I wouldn't say they bullied me, but, you know, I grew up pretty fast uh, – I, I probably was privy to some information that seven-year-olds don't normally get if they don't have older brothers. So, um, and you kind of, it's a sink or swim sometimes with them. You're the only player left, so you have to play with them and you kind of have to learn how to uh, adjust and, and play with older kids. And, and I think it just was something that I, when I got behind the plate and I got to put the gear on, it was like, man, this is really cool. And I just dug it. And uh, and from then on, I caught my whole life. So it was it was really a love at first sight type thing and love at first uh, first time I put that gear on it was okay this is it it just was something that that I, I fell in love with one of the neat things I've seen that you've been involved in have been the coaches versus COVID the zoom calls and it was a, a gigantic catching clinic I sat in on one of them and just so interesting and you had all levels covered and you talked quite a bit about coaching kids and it I love the idea that, you know, you've got to let the catchers, even if they're 11, let them call the game, let them fail. If they're not failing, they're not preparing uh, enough. Uh, how, how do you, you said that you would like the kids to diversify and, and, and play different sports and whatnot, but how do you develop a good young baseball player? I, th I think it's, it's got to stay fun. One of the things about baseball that I'm learning now, just when I'm, when I am home last year, helping out with my son at the lowest levels, right? Whether it's T-ball or peanuts and, um, you know, soccer, it's like, hey, there's the goal. You cannot use your hands. You have to kick the ball, put the ball in the goal, right? In basketball, <laughs> it's like you can dribble, but once you pick up your dribble, you can't move and you want to put the ball in the hole. With baseball, you're talking about, okay, I can run through first, but I can't run through second and third, but I can run through home if there's less than two outs and there's a fly ball I have to tag up but if there's two outs I have to run on contact like force plays and tagging up like all this stuff is is so hard to teach and I think we want to as coaches and and all in a you know um all coming from a good place we want to teach them so much about the game and and accelerate it so fast and um part of it is just learning that when you hit the ball and you're on first base and you don't start running the kid that knows a little bit more about the game will start yelling at you, hey, run, Tone, you got to run, kind of like my older brothers did, right? And so the game educates you a little more than we give it credit for. And so for me, it's how can we make it fun? How can we keep 
the kids active, especially in practice. Like instead of one line of 12 kids, let's get four lines of three kids doing four different exercises and keep them busy. I mean, have them field a basketball as a ground ball, like just different ideas to, to keep it fun um, at that age, I think is huge. And then um, as they continue to grow with the game, um, you know, see where, where they fit in and what sports they like, but encourage them to play multiple sports. I think you see a lot of times now, um, and when I was coaching at Cal, we'd get some recruits who like, the guy doesn't know how to dive. He doesn't know how to slide. And it's something that maybe you learned because you dove for a basketball or I learned because I played football and I got knocked on my butt and I learned how to fall, right? Uh, and so there's different um, things. I mean, you can't say that that running around on a football field for four months with, I don't know, 10 pounds of pads on you can't help, isn't going to help your baseball game and your explosiveness. So um, I, I just think developing kids um, – you know, we just have to keep it fun and, and find ways to to keep them active because their brains want to go. So uh, you have to have energy. If you don't have energy and passion, I mean, like Bone, Perry Hill would be the, a great 10-year-old coach, and he's a great major league coach, right? I mean, it's and right. it's a tribute to his his energy and his passion and his love because it just commands attention. And I think kids are the same way. You have to have energy and you have to have patience, too. I think that's a probably one of the biggest things, be patient. Your, your kids are not going to learn overnight. So just be patient with them and understand that it's a, a development thing and they're learning things that can help them, you know, down there, down the road in life, uh, whether it's sports or, or in the real world of one day when they get into uh, working in the, the working force and not necessarily on the baseball field. Wow. It's so much fun to see it when it all comes together. It's funny. They'll all be running in different directions for a couple of years. And one day you look and it, it looks like baseball. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's kind of how it goes. And um, you can't accelerate that. You can't teach a seven-year-old how to do trigonometry, right? You got to let them learn the math and, and work his way up. And some of them will learn faster than the others, but we all end up getting pretty close to the highest level of math and when we're in high school. So it's kind of the same thing. We we may not go as fast as others. And, and at times someone might develop faster, but we're all on our own clock. And uh, enjoy enjoy that process with your kids and, and try not to put you know you can push them but I think there's a um, a certain uh, amount of fun that you have to have doing it to where it's it's not you know something that they dread doing which to me is just would be really disappointing if my son is doing something and dreading it because I want him to do it that's the last thing I would ever want so it's going to be interesting to see what the position of catcher is when they do progress on to high school, college, and the big leagues. You know, I have, I've talked about this with a lot of people. Um, Robo-umps appear to be on the horizon. I hate it. I, I probably hate it more than anybody. I don't like what it appears to do to the catching position. I've, I've heard some try and frame it. Well, you know, that will evolve too, and there are other ways that a, a catcher can stand out. But uh, how do you prepare for something like that, and, and what changes do you see that making to what we see behind the plate now? Yeah, it's a, that's a good question. I mean, it's interesting. It's, um, you know, part of our craft that, that we've really tried to uh, master and now it becomes something that's non-existent really when you talk about receiving and, and trying to make uh, as many pitches look like strikes as you possibly can. And, uh, you know, at some point, uh, one of the beauties of sport is a human element, right? And if we continue to take the human element away, what are we, or, you know, what are we sacrificing? Um, and I, I do think that video is is important. I think getting calls right is important, um, especially when you're talking about World Series. I, I agree with that. 
um, with the robo umps. Uh, you know, I think it's just something that as it comes and if it does come, we have to learn how to adjust. I mean, the game evolves whether we like it or not. And um, so whether it, it, it makes us get in different stance variations, I still would imagine that a pitcher is going to like to throw to a, a normal looking catcher rather than him standing halfway up where you can bear, you know, like almost like a middle infielder. Um, but with these new rules on the pickoffs where you have to disengage from the rubber, I think they're trying to promote some more um, running game. But I think with if this happens, it's going to be really hard to steal bases because our the catchers don't have to worry about receiving the ball. All they have to do is catch it. So they can really get in a setup that can allow them to throw well, um, in which case their times are going to get better and it's going to be harder to steal. So the the throwing aspect of the position, I think, will be more valued. Um, and then just the athleticism of the position, you know, you got, you got to have somebody that probably has like Austin Nola hands. I think Nola is going to be a good catcher, whether they have robo lumps or not, but, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, uh, it'll be interesting to see how pitchers adjust to different setups as well. But we, I think, you know, as a, as a coach and a catching coach specifically, it's stuff that racks my brain at night and I'm like, wake up at 3am like, man, we could have them set up completely sideways right? Like a, like a, a middle <laughs> infielder and just get there and be ready. And then it's like, well, does he need a catcher's glove? Can he wear an infielder's glove? Like what, you know, all these things pop into your head, which is fun. But at the same time, you know, this game is a beautiful game and it's been a beautiful game for a long time. So I am on your side where there's a lot of things where I'm like, it doesn't need to be changed. Um, you know, maybe we've gotten so good at tricking umpires that they feel the ne necessity to do it. So <laughs> Um, but again, I think the human element is part of what makes this game uh, what it is and why we love it so much. And at times we dislike it a lot as well. Okay. Do you really think you're tricking them that much or are you just getting your strikes called as strikes? I think some of us, some of them are, you know, it's, it's, the game is so fast and it happens so fast and they have to make that decision now. And so I do think that there is some, uh, and we see it on TV. We've all seen it. And, and we've seen pitches that are strikes that they call balls because we don't catch it properly. So for me, it's a, it's, it, it you know, can hurt you just as much as it helps you um, on the catching side of it. Like if you catch a ball bad, you, to me, you should be pun punished, so to speak. And if you catch it well, maybe you get that extra inch on the plate, you know? And so, um, I do think that there is a lot of pitches being stolen, so to speak, quote unquote stolen. Um, but, uh, you know, it's that's part of, part of the beauty of the position. And that's why we work so hard at it is because uh, everybody's getting really good at it. And so you better continue to develop it and try to push to be at the best of it, because if you don't, guys are going to pass you by. I could talk catching with you all day, but then uh, we'd all miss dinner. So that's probably not a good idea <laughs> on that note. Um, is there a skill or anything that you have picked up in this time that you otherwise probably wouldn't have? Uh, are you cooking more? Are you watching something? Have you learned how to play? I read the other day, one player is learning how to play the harp right now. Yeah. Is there anything unique for you? Uh, you know, it's funny. My wife uh, works in real estate, so I've been taking a couple of classes on real estate to try to get my real estate license, which I'm not close. I'm I'm slowly working towards it, so I'm learning a little bit about that just as a not really a backup plan, but just, you know, you get referral fees just because you have a, a real estate license. I figure why not do it? And if I want to, you know, sell a house here or there someday, maybe I can. Uh, so there's that. But yeah, we've been cooking a lot and barbecuing and um, just trying to find different recipes. My wife's a good cook. And so I try to help her and 
normally it ends up with her telling me to get out of the kitchen because I'm probably hurting the dish more than helping it. Um, I, I will say too, though, the learning the in-home, like in the garage workouts has been fun and to try to get creative with uh, different workouts with being limited with a couple dumbbells and a couple um, med balls that we have uh, trying to get creative with that uh, has been has been fun as well. That's where calling Tom Murphy comes in handy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, his workouts are a little insane for me. <laughs> but He's got yes, me he... running up a hill. I'm really that's that. He is solely responsible <laughs> for that. I've never done that before, and I'm doing that now. So yeah, good for well... Tom Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> then they showed him jumping around, right? And he's jumping like crazy distances. And uh, someone made a funny joke. I think it was on Twitter that that uh, they should add some cartoon noises of him like bouncing around like a bunny, like the Boeing sound. And uh, I thought it'd be great. I don't know how to do it though, so I wasn't able to do it. But he's Another a pretty un- <laughs> yeah. He's but he's so unique, man. Watching that guy, he's just so he's such a special person and. Um, he cares so much and, and he wants to be the best that he can be. So it's fun, fun to watch for sure. And then when you see him on like jump and you watch him working out, you're like, oh my gosh, this guy is like crazy, uh, crazy. Like, uh, like he's just a different type of animal, so to speak, where you're like, how is he doing this? Like he's <laughs> literally lifting so much weight on one leg that I probably couldn't even do on two. So it's just another, uh, a part of him that's special and, and pretty impressive. Yeah, no question. He is a good one. Tony, I hope that we get things going and we don't have to do this again, but if we do, I would love to talk some more with you about all of this. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Uh, hopefully we can get back to it. I know we're all itching to get back going and uh, we miss the game, but um, it's also fun to just realize what's important in life and be with family as well. So uh, there's a lot of silver linings here and, Hopefully we can get through this stronger and and come back and hit the ground running and have a good season. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You couldn't tell I really enjoyed that conversation with minor league coordinator Tony Arnrich. In the next couple of weeks, I do want to get a little bit more into what is going to happen with the minor leaguers this year and also with the draft. Hey, one other note before we close this out. If you're looking to do a little good, you know, kind of Mariners theme good, Marco Gonzalez and his wife, Monica, they are Seattle residents, by the way. They've teamed up with Northwest Harvest to launch a virtual peanut butter drive. Northwest Harvest is seeing increased demand. And Marco, Monica, and Marco's brother, they got down on the front lines yesterday and made 500 peanut butter sandwiches for Northwest Harvest. Their hope is to fundraise in order to provide 400,000 sandwiches. With the pandemic, the number of families that are becoming food insecure in the state of Washington has doubled. And right now, there are over 400,000 children that have been affected. The goal of the fundraiser is to raise $40,000. Marco is hopeful they can do more than that. Marco and Monica are going to match a portion of those donations, as will Mariners Cares, their nonprofit arm. If you're in a position to help out, the link to donate is in the accompanying post. Donations can be made through May 31st. And with that, I hope everybody has a safe, healthy, and why the heck not happy week as well. We will talk to you all again soon.